I believe that becoming a better man means being more reliable and more supportive in relationships. Whether that be with friends, family or partners, human connection is important for all of us. So I've designed a test that will help you improve yourself and your relationships. There's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end of this episode. For now, enjoy listening. It was the 16th of April 2020 that we called D-Day that was the day that we sat down in our lounge on the computer and we were told of my my diagnosis. Welcome to Stories of Men, Beneath the Surface. I'm Alex Melia. Join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era. Sportsmen often pay a huge price to compete at the world-class level. Does stepping down make you a quitter, or could it save your life? Today we're hearing the story of Alex Popham, the former international rugby player who won 33 caps for Wales. Alex's wife Mel had been trying to get him to go to the doctor. She'd noticed some things about her husband that weren't normal, but he just put it down to the stress of being a busy working dad. Until one day, when Alex decided to set out on a bike ride. It's a loop that I've done many times from my house. This beautiful ride into into the Welsh countryside. It was a dry, beautiful September afternoon and getting out, enjoying the fresh air. Cycle usually with with other people, but this time I was on my own. I was cycling along this road that I can visualise now. I was coming out of us town centre. It's a, quite a fast road, smooth tarmac that hasn't been laid too long. I was like having feelings of, do I go straight on? Do I turn right? Do I turn left? I carried on for maybe two or three miles out of us. And I got to a point where I didn't know where I was or which direction to go in. And then got to a a pull-in where I didn't know where I was, didn't recognize anything around me. Getting lost and and having that blackout moment of not knowing where I was was pretty scary. And phoned my wife and was quite upset at that time. Uh, she was at home and I said, look, babes, I said, I don't know where, where I am. I said, I don't know which direction I need to go to, to finish this loop. And she said, well, just calm down, take 10 deep breaths and hopefully it will come back to you. So I did that, it didn't. And she said, look, just cycle home the way you've just come. Cycle back towards us. And took a few minutes, had a big gulp of water, then took the, the, the cycle route home that i just come from. It was horrible. It was um, a feeling of, of, of blankness, almost that everything went, went dark. And even though it was a, a sunny afternoon, my mood just changed from feeling confident. I usually go on a bike to be free, to get out, to have my own thoughts. It was, yeah, a horrible, horrible feeling, not knowing where I was and how I was going to get home, not being in control of the way I was feeling and the anxiety I was feeling of not knowing where I was. wasn't a nice feeling at all and never want to go back to, to feeling like that again. 
So Alex, what happened after that day on the bike? From that point of, of coming home, pretty shook up actually. Mel could see uh, I was upset and, and anxious and she was like, right, we've got to ring the GP. And then the following morning, went to see my GP. He arranged with my background of being a rugby player, got me straight in for, for an MRI and then also arranged neuropsychological testing. You're literally sat with a neuropsychologist for three hours, sat in a chair, and by the end of it, it's as if you've played 10 games of rugby, your brain is absolutely shattered. So after all the the testing, the thorough testing that I've been through, I had a a message from the assistant for the neurologist and said, look, we, we," and because of COVID, uh, we had to do it via Zoom. And I said, right, okay, does my wife need to be present? And she said, yes, I think she does. The three or four hours before the call seemed like days. It was the 16th of April, 2020, that we call D-Day, that was the day that we sat down in our lounge on the computer and we were told of my my diagnosis. The neurologist said, ah, you sat down. Mouse grabbed my hand and he said, it's not good news. Then explained from what he'd seen in the in the different tests and scans and pulled them up then onto the screen and showed the five areas of damage on my brain uh, that was caused from playing rugby. He believed that everything put together, he diagnosed me with early onset dementia and probable CTE. After he explained everything, Mel ran out of the room and, and, and was sick. For me, it was a strange one, almost relief that you could see damage actually on, on these scans and the, and the different symptoms I was struggling with and the, the problems I was having. There was a reason why, and it wasn't just all being made up in my, in my head. Control is a massive thing in men's lives. And when we, as men, when we have this feeling of we've lost control, it's very disempowering, isn't it? Yeah, it it is. But I try to, in life in general, try and break it back to and simplify it and not overcomplicate it. And do you know what I mean? I try to think then that (laughs) there's always somebody else in a, in a lot worse position, even though we were dealt these cards, there's so always someone else, unfortunately, in a in a lot worse position. So it's not that bad. What actually what you what you're going through? You've got a roof over your head. You've got food. You've got three amazing kids. You've got an amazing wife. You've got an amazing family. You're lucky. <laughs> and uh, yes, you have been told you've you've got brain damage from playing rugby, but you could be dead. You could be, like, I never struggled with any, thankfully, like some of the ex-players' suicidal thoughts or, or anything like that. And I don't know that's down to my, my, my way of thinking with regards to everything's half full and, uh, and, and having that positive uh, mindset. Um, I'm quite, and I've always been quite good when a negative thought pops into my head. I just chuck it out straight away and don't allow it to snowball and take over my my thinking in lots of areas of my life. And I've always been that way. I know everybody is not in, in that situation, but uh, a line that I live by is control the controllables. And if you can 
with that with regards to setting the foundations of your diet, your exercise, uh, the people you mix with, uh, the people you talk to. I think that comes as you're getting older, that um, they're people who you were friends with when you were younger, but because they're negative, because they haven't got a good vibe about them, you don't bother with as you get older. And I think that's something that you learn and, and mature as a, as a person. I think that's really important. I'm the same, actually. Because on the flip side, don't try to control the uncontrollables because you're just going to hold on to this. It's almost like the clenched fist sort of syndrome in your mind of, I, I want to see if I can control this. But some things are just so big, so large, like the issue within rugby. There's only certain things that you can do. And obviously you're doing great things for Head for Change, but it's going to take time to be able to change these deeply rooted establishment that is in world rugby. Yeah, 100%. And I think if you can park the the things that you've got no control of, but still have your voice and your opinions and and stand by them, then that's the best that you can do. Um, And you learn from, from a young age playing well, I have playing sport, you, you you can't always win, but you can always do your best. And as long as you can look in the it's a pretty corny line, but look in the mirror and, and say that you've tried your best and you're 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 still fighting, um, that's that's all you can do really. Because I don't struggle with this a lot because of having being able to to park something and move on in a positive way. I speak to lots of ex-players who can't do that. And because I'm not in that situation, it's difficult to to see what they're going through, but you've got to work with them and try and pull them out of the the negative thoughts and situation that, that, that they're in. I know it's made a difference too with regards to their day-to-day life and, and, and making uh, the changes that need to happen. As you say, mental health issues and suicidal thoughts are massive within the rugby community of ex-players and, and also current players as well. You talk about glass half full and, and your positive mindset. Where does that come from? Why why is it that you're able to deal with situations which to most people would just be so difficult to solve, but you're able to just kind of look upon it with a positive approach and, like like we said before, not allow the negative thoughts to fester? I, I, it's difficult to a- answer that question. I'd be, I think, if you could bottle that, I'd be a billionaire. And uh, <laughs> um, is it your parents? Is it your environment? I think, yeah, definitely my upbringing with with my grandparents, my uh, my mum and dad, my brothers. It was it was always a you can achieve, you can do something. Even when I had setbacks when I was younger and didn't get selected for teams, right park that and and where lots of people would have give up i want to achieve my my goals and are fortunate to to be in a position that i've got the opportunity to well i i believe you've got so many opportunities in life and try to have that mindset uh, and be thankful what you have now um and not again it's, it's it's easy to say because i do it naturally but don't overthink things and enjoy the journey as much as possible because you're in control. That was one thing after my diagnosis where I was overcommitting to different things and trying to keep other people happy. And 
go from one meeting to a coffee to a dinner to, and, and it was just all too much for me. I pulled uh, out of a lot of things that w- were making my diary too hectic. And the most important thing, and you've got to be selfish in situations, is my training, is my diet, is the kids, Mel, my family. And in that order, um, I get my training done for or have a good breakfast, get my training done. That was out the way. Then all the kids' clubs and everything like that. And then off the back of that, then you could see other people and, and have meetings. And But if you put everybody else first and have the meetings and then in the back of your mind, you've got to think, oh, i got to train. I've got to have some food. You're always chasing those things. And then you could become five, six o'clock at night and you're shattered from the day that you've had and you, you don't bother training or you eat crap because the the, the food you have another enough good food in in the day so i think if you can control those things and get up half an hour an hour earlier that'll make a good foundations of starting your day well mm. i don't know if you follow jocko willink but he says discipline equals freedom and i think that even as an ex-professional now you've been so i suppose regimented in your training throughout your schooling days, playing rugby, all the way to being a professional, uh, a Welsh international. It's very easy, I suppose, or it's easier than the average person who's perhaps never trained or never had a disciplined approach to life to be able to keep that going. So you can get up an hour early. You can get up at 6 a.m. instead of 7, 8 a.m. like like the average person does. And I, I love this quote, like, the chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. So if you've never trained and had that disciplined approach all your life and you get to your 40s and 50s, how do you then start to have this sort of discipline in your life? Whereas for you, it's, it comes a lot easier. Yeah, definitely. But people would be trained and disciplined in something else, be it when, when, they, when they were in school, with revising. with So those habits in a different way can be easily flipped, I think, to, to put it into another direction and another discipline. Like I'm, I'm training at the moment to do an Ironman. I'm not saying everybody's got to do that, but Getting up in the morning, getting in the fresh air, getting the sunlight on your face, having your coffee in the in the garden when the weather allows, and and just starting the day well makes a huge difference to what comes after. Yeah, I noticed myself during the pandemic how my mental health was starting to deteriorate, and I, not over months or, or years, but just over a couple of days. And then even if I don't have a couple of days going to the gym or doing some form of exercise, I feel it immediately. And that was just kind of a wake-up call for me to keep that keep that going, keep that sport, keep that exercise, even get outside as much as possible to be able to take advantage of the fresh air. It's just massive for your mental health. No, de- definitely. And I think that was one thing from the, the pandemic that was a positive. People appreciate what's on their doorstep and what's around them exercising getting out using those things getting up in the woods and and just going for a walk and getting back into those habits and being organized being disciplined getting your packed lunch your kit ready the day before it was like when you were in school you used to get your uniform and your 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 books ready and that can happen in in uh, as an adult as well and the more planned you are before uh the day starts, the, the the better it the day seems to unfold. Mm. One thing I wanted to talk about with with your uh, diagnosis, and obviously this is for 
a lot of ex-players as well is is memory. And this is something I've been really following closely recently because I don't know if you've seen the Alex Ferguson documentary, Never Give In. And the thing that he was most concerned about when he was in hospital was, I do not want to lose my memory. I'm so scared of losing my memory. And actually I watched, even though I'm not a rugby fan, I did watch a video about a month ago of Steve Thompson. He's in his trophy room. I mean, you know you've been successful when you've got a trophy room. I don't know if you've got that as well, but he couldn't. He looked at all these medals and all these trophies, and I think it was Steve Thompson. I could be wrong. He looked at all of his trophies and medals. He's, he looked at that. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. I don't remember playing in that match. He didn't remember any of it. And this is a. This really highlights what massive issue that we're facing. That from an from an outsider like me is really being brushed under the carpet. And the reason why I talk about this idea of memory is because it's very disempowering and it's this sort of loss of control as a man that we talked about earlier on in the conversation that is so critical. And maybe it's not just for men, it's just for people in general. We don't want to lose our memory because we've got the happiness of now, the momentary happiness, and we've got the memory happiness as well. And especially as an ex-professional, you know, you can, all these amazing moments you had in your life playing domestic rugby, playing international rugby, even honours that you had in school and, and your, your further education, you want to be able to remember those things. Yeah, it's similar uh, with myself. Um, my actual playing days professionally um, are not that great. Uh, I know I played for certain teams between for this many years and I played in two World Cups, won a Grand Slam, um, won different Cups for different clubs, but actual memories of being in the moment and not there. And, and unfortunately, uh, for, for me also, um, yeah, again, if, if I, uh, and I don't want to think about that too much because you start beating yourself up about and get sad on not being able to, remember those things um holidays and 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 things like that i haven't got good memories or i haven't got memories of of uh things happening during a lot of my professional career i've got memories of when i was a kid and holidays and playing uh for teams at at that age but yeah from most probably 1920 um when my professional career took off, those memories are not really there, um, which, yeah, is, is, is very disappointing and uh, quite hard where like my two elder kids and memories of them growing up uh, are not, not that great, but I can't do anything about it. I'm not in control of that. And um, yeah, it's, you just got to take that on the chin. We'll get back to the episode in a second. Before that, I just want to say, if you think this episode would be useful to a friend, send it along. You never know, it might just be the exact thing they're looking for today. And now back to the show. It's interesting how you remember those childhood memories, because this is kind of before rugby became big in your life. So is that probably the reason why you remember that? Yeah, well, um, my understanding of all of this from my neurologist is... During my professional career, my brain was so inflamed all the time. You've got to remember it's a 10, 11 month season you were playing. It was having contact after contact after contact. You 
were taking photos of what was going on, but because of the inflammation in your brain, you weren't storing them as memories. You had no film in the in the camera. And yeah, that's what was was going on with myself, with Steve and 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 talking to the majority of the other boys, their memories of playing um are not there. That's really worrying that and and must be a difficult one, I suppose, to to accept as well. I think acceptance is a big one. Yeah, and 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 before I had my diagnosis of when you were doing Q and A's or uh, being interviewed about different games that you played in, or I had no memory. I would I would look at videos. I'd look at photos. I know I scored in that, but I've got no memories of them actually happening. I used to almost make it up to what happened to try and let the the conversation flow and um i don't i i know when i got my first cap i know where it was but i can't remember what time of day it was if it was a night kickoff a, a day kickoff if it was raining i've got i've got no recollection of lots of that like even my last game for wales was the grand slam year for wales in 08 was at Twickenham um, and in lockdown they replayed that game and it was as, it was as if I was watching it for the first time. I can't remember any like you should remember the big tackles you made, the good runs, what the score what I've got I know we won the game, but I've got no recollection of of any of that. I can't imagine how surreal that must be to not remember those games that you played in, but you're watching yourself on TV. Yeah. It's almost like it was a different person. Yeah, yeah 100%. And yeah, I got I got quite upset. I was watching it with, with everyone. Uh, uh, my three girls, Mel, we were watching it um, during lockdown. And Mel was like, oh, that was a great day. And I'm like, can you remember that? And I was like, no. But what, 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 again, what can you do? It's gone. That's what's happened. And you can't change it. And if you put too much effort and co- and and worry and uh, no uh, concentration into those feelings, then it will eat you up, and you'll maybe get depressed over having that, and you can't dwell on it because it'll cause more harm than what's it going to change. I, I completely agree, and I think that what's kind of the real overriding sort of feeling I'm taking from the conversation with you today is just this this incredible positivity that you have about everything that, that goes on in your life and and I think that is cl- clearly something you've trained yourself to do from from a young age and it's it's obviously manifesting itself in all the things that you're doing now with Head for Change. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm all over that and uh again it's it's about being positive and that has been a huge part in my life and will continue to be in the future. I wanted to speak to you about concussions because that's something that, again, we want to obviously highlight this massive issue around that. I've only ever had one concussion in my life. And I remember I was doing boxing sparring about 12, 14 years ago or something like that. And I remember this guy punching me right on the temple and I remember having a massive headache for about two weeks. Didn't really know what, what it was about. Didn't know about concussions. I think I was about 22, something like that at the time. And every time I knelt down to tie my shoelaces, I could feel it right on the temple. And 
I realized afterwards that I'd experienced a concussion, but it lasted for two weeks. Are there any concussions that you remember having and what kind of damage do you think it's had on you long term? Well, to start with, I think we should call them what they actually are. And it should be called a traumatic brain injury because that's what's happened. A concussion softens what actually has happened. I think if you told a parent, or oh, your boy's had a concussion, they'd be, oh, okay, but he's had a traumatic or she's had a traumatic brain injury. It's a lot, sounds a lot worse than, and, and that's exactly what it is. So I think a big part of all of this is the language people use. I didn't know what an actual concussion was. And what I've learned over the last two years, I found out, because I always thought a, a, a traumatic brain injury slash concussion was where you were knocked out cold. That's what, in my mind, when I was playing, was a concussion. 90% of concussions happen where you're not knocked out. So when I was seeing stars almost every day when I was hitting contact, when I was making tackles, when I was being tackled, being wiped out from rucks and getting up all dazed, they are concussions. They are traumatic brain injuries. So the huge part of all of this is education from grassroots all the way up to senior elite rugby. And once you have one of those, you have the correct rest and come back because that didn't happen when when I was playing, and it's still not happening to the the best of uh, um, or the best it could be uh, with with current players through the amateur game, through school rugby, and uh, at elite level. Players are rushed back too quickly. Um, so this is a big part of one of our pillars with Head for Change is the education uh, to push out what actually is a a traumatic brain injury. But memories of me having traumatic brain injuries whilst I was playing, I've got no no memories of them. Uh, I know they happen because I've seen photos. One was against South Africa. Uh, I met Nelson Mandela before the game and woke up in hospital. But I only know that happened because there's video footage of it. There's me coming off the pitch in a in a neck brace and on a stretcher. Um, and then the second one I know happened was I knocked my two front teeth out playing for Leeds and woke up in the changing room. And they were the, when I finished playing, I told myself I only had two concussions. And then speaking to other players that I played with, they said, what about that one? What about that one? What about that one? And I'm like, I've got no, no memories of any of those happen, but the, the feelings of having stars and feeling a bit dazed and having some sniffing salts, that was just part of everyday being a rugby player. Everybody would, would have those all the time. And we were told, unless you felt a bit sick, just carry on. If you felt sick, then you had to step to the side. But everything else, you, you were just told to get on with it and get back in defensive line, get back in the attacking line and carry on. It almost has this feeling of, even though it's not said, but just man up and just get on with it. Oh, it was, it was 100%. That, was, that was, would happen all the time in analysis uh, sessions. Unless your leg was hanging off, unless your head was hanging off, you get back up and don't let the team down. And it's got this macho element to it as well because you don't want to feel like you're wimping out at, at the you know we're talking about language has power these sorts of feelings because you don't want to have this sort of feeling of 
your teammates teammates thinking, oh, well, he's quit. He's not wanting to continue. He doesn't want to fight for the cause. And that has negative effects moving forward. You just don't want to let anybody down. And that's drummed into you from a, from a youngster. They're your brothers beside you and sisters in, in the female game. And if you stay down on the pitch, uh, stay down on the floor, you're, you're a player down. And ultimately, you're letting the team down. But this is where it needs to be taken out of the players' hands of coming off the pitch, of how long they stay um, on the sidelines and, and don't return to action. Because at the moment, it's all player-led on how they're feeling. And there's a, a, a step, I think a six-step uh, that, fit, that used to fit into six days so you didn't miss a game. Um, but it's all on how the player is feeling to the, going up that ladder. And it should be taken out of the player's hand because a player doesn't want to let his teammates down, doesn't want to lose his spot, is fighting for the next contract. And yeah, it's it's not the best thing for them and their brain for the long term. I'm thinking about sportsmen, elite sportsmen. There's so much pressure on them to not give in, to not quit. If you think about boxers, they could have a detached retina in a fight. And if they quit, they're seen as, well, I say quit. If they decide they don't want to continue, they, they're seen as... They're, they're less of a man, What they're a quitter, they're a coward. They could go blind if they continue. But there's this sort of feeling from the armchair sports person and, and also probably other boxers, and, and this is obviously not just boxing, but sports as a whole, like obviously you're talking about rugby here, where you do have this massive pressure on you to continue, but your health is massively deteriorated. These sports fans, they don't, they're not thinking about you know, Alex Popham in his in his forties and and fifties and sixties, with all of these health issues, they just cared about you being out there at that day and time in your peak years. But they don't care about later on. And you have to think about those things. You have to look after number one. None of these sports are going to be ever be a hundred percent safe. If a if a boxer is KO'd, my understanding on they can't fight or train for a minimum of thirty days in rugby with some loopholes and protocols that are in, a player could be KO'd and play seven days later. It's, it's just insane what, what is going on. And if you ask a player, uh, they're gladiators, are you feeling okay to go back out there? Of course they're going to say yes, nine times out of ten. But is their brain back to normal um, function? Most probably not. Yeah. And it goes back to what we said about language as power. I am a gladiator is an identity thing. It's so strong and powerful to say, I'm a warrior. I'm a gladiator. Gladiators don't stop playing just because they've been uh, concussed. They uh, are, as you say, traumatic brain injury. They keep going, they keep going, they keep going. But it, that language has to kind of be looked at and assessed because it's not helpful. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know if that language will, will ever change because they, they, they're on that mindset. But it, as I said, it needs to be taken out of their hands. It, they need to have, in all these sports, some base-level testing that is done in off-season, in pre-season, uh, that if or when a traumatic brain injury happens, they don't return to the field for training or playing until their brain has reached that um, baseline level. Because at the moment, it's finger in the air, down to the player, led, that I'm okay, I'm feeling okay, I can get through training, and it's, <laughs> I can get through games, carry on. 
I think probably most players or sports people have to have the decision taken away from them. They have to be saved from themselves because they'll they'll just want to continue, want to continue, you know, and you have to have the manager or the coaching staff of your rugby team or whatever sports team it is literally stopping you from doing it. You, this, is, this decision is out of your control. 100%. That, 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 that needs to be uh, the, way, the way forward. But I think we're, yeah, away from that at the moment. In the case of early onset dementia, where it happens in so many full contact sports, how do you retain who you are without your memories? So in Alex's case, he's trying to embrace this challenge of functioning as a father, as a husband, as an advocate for change in sport. I can't say I'm a massive rugby fan, but I do have really fond memories of the 1995 World Cup when you had absolute warriors like Jonah Lomu for New Zealand. And even I remember watching Alex Popham in 2003, 2007 and onwards. There was very much this gladiator ideology with rugby players and they're going to war in each and every game and that's something that you have to respect. Rugby players have this refusal to give up, even in the face of life-threatening injuries. It's almost this feeling of weakness and not wanting to be a quitter. Is this a good thing or is it not a good thing? Is it something that's toxic and should be weeded out? It makes me think about why we look down on quitters. Is this something that we need to change as well? In full contact sports like rugby and, and even in boxing, which is my favorite sport, the idea of giving up is just a massive faux pas. It's something that people just continue talking about as if it's this, this thing that you should never ever do. In some cases, people who have quit have actually had longer careers because of it and it's actually helped them in the long run. But as spectators, as fans, we just want to see bloodshed. We don't want to accept that people are human beings. We need to have more of a human approach to these kinds of things. Perhaps this is the sort of thing that we should start speaking about more in the media, about saying it's okay to quit. People like Alex are really leading the way to make rugby safe for kids. So it makes me think, why is there pushback against people like Alex, advocates who are trying to make sports safer? Why is there pushback against that? Think of the massive impact, the massive positive impact these people can have on people, athletes, sports stars for future generations to come. Surely that's worth fighting for. Things like touch rugby, reduced headers in football, these can all go a long way to making sports safer. Then you've got critics against these new measures that are trying to make sports safer by saying that they're trying to wrap kids in cotton wool. Something that I just don't agree with. For me, I just think you can have this balance, this best of both worlds, where you make sports safer, but you don't lose the love of this sport, whether it's rugby, whether it's football, or whether it's under any other full contact sports. I think there's the best of both worlds and it's not this black and white, all or nothing approach. Before you go, I need to tell you about our man test. Because as men, we can struggle to forge strong relationships, often by being bad communicators. I've definitely been there. This podcast is about helping you better understand who you are as a man to become the best version of yourself. And the team and I have designed a simple quiz for you to discover more about your identity as a modern man. It takes less than three minutes to complete and it's going to help you establish better relationships and form stronger connections. Whether that's with your partner, friends or co-workers, the Man Quiz is going to help you become more trustworthy, reliable and dependable in all your relationships. 
Find the link to the quiz in the show notes now. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.